Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to The Sweet Spot, where IT leaders bring insights for other IT leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as always, it's a pleasure to have here with me my two co-hosts, Paul Lewis and Howard Holton. Hey, guys. Hey there. Hey, Carlos. How are you guys doing? Good. It's been a, been a busy week. Much better with several pounds of hair removed. I'm, uh, I'm feeling lighter, light in my feet. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. So today we have a special guest with us. We have Ernest Solomon, and he's a CIO for a legal services company. Hey, Ernest, how you doing? Hey, Carlos. Hi, everyone. Glad to join you guys. Excellent. So, Ernest, give us a little bit of a background of your history, the technology, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, on, on your role? Yeah, Carlos, um, so CIO for LawPro. Uh, it's a legal insurance organization providing insurance to lawyers across Ontario. Um, and I joined on September of 2019. So it's been a very long tenor as compared to the other folks in the organization. Um, so it's been, you know, eight months or so. Um, love the role, love the team. Um, a great organization, really to be happy to be part of the Law Pro family. Um, and uh, before that or prior, you know, uh, I would say is uh, uh, bring two decades of experience with directing technology services and business management plans. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work in financial services, the insurance sector as well, and the healthcare industry. So uh, taking that, all the learnings from there and, and working in this environment, it really you know, brings a different level of digital transformation for the organization together. Um, for the last, I would say, quarter or, or I would say last six months, really have been concentrating more on the digital transformation for the journey and also dealing with the pandemic as well. And as you can imagine, it's been uncertain times. Um, and, uh, you know, the risk to, uh, risk to response, or I should say the rate of response has to be much faster at this point in time. Uh, to addressing all of the stakeholder risks, uh, stakeholder concerns as well, and the new asks. Derek. Take us through take us through the first four weeks. So four weeks for you, I guess, is March break on. Let's say mid March to mid April. What's what's that like? What's happening? What's the what's the mood? Oh, uh, yeah, great question. I think uh, Paul. I think uh, I would say the first four weeks was pretty much all hands on deck fire from every single corner that you can imagine it to be uh, looking at it from all aspects about whether you know what are the external impacts what are the external news uh, having a crisis management team meeting as well uh, and then from a technology standpoint really upscaling uh, and and ensuring that we can meet the needs of the the, the stakeholders as well and the organization so uh, whether it was upgraded to Citrix Farm, whether it was uh, changing some of the manual processes to digitizing them, uh, looking at the existing infrastructure. So we were part VPN, part Citrix. Um, additional licensing that might be required. Uh, and looking at, at, I would say, uh, there was a part of, I would say, I, and I love using this term, there were more MacGyver solution than there were strategic solutions at that point. In. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, we do technologists, we do what we need to do and, and all hands on deck. But I think really going back to the team and the kudos to the team of ensuring that we 
sustain the organization as well and being able to scale um, as a new BCP of not just a small percentage of folks working from home or outside of the office. It's, it's essentially the entire organization moving to uh, outside of the office. So, you know, I mean, I, I call it the new word, which is NWOW, which is the new way of working as mm. uh, it's, it's different. So, so I have a question for you, um, and it's one that, that, that I ask a lot, but um, when we look to, to kind of pre-COVID, right, and we look at the things that we plan for, we, we have a DR plan, right? Some piece of infrastructure failed, we need to fail over. Disaster recovery, right? It broke, it burned, it, it crashed, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have our business continuity plan. Something happened to our physical resources, something happened in the, in the environment, and I have to be able to continue to run business. But we always looked at that as one plant failed, one location failed, right? One office failed. How has your BCP plan changed now that, you know, we've gone through a pandemic where um, effectively every office, every location had, had failed? Um, so, I mean, one good thing about our organizations, we're not global, we're local. So, you know, you're kind of resident in, in, in one particular tower um, and on two floors itself. So... The BCP plan, it's, it's interesting you ask this question. I'm actually in the process of reviewing the BCP plan. We have a yearly exercise to review the BCP plan and make uh, adjustments accordingly, whether it's uh, vital records, refresh, locations, et cetera, et cetera, or even uh, document management. But I would say BCP plan is, is, has changed and is going to change even further because as you adopt the new technologies, it's going to change the BCP plan accordingly as well. Um, we, uh, I would say that we are now on the verge of changing it drastically and, and further, just simply because of the fact of working from home and what the new norm looks like. Because there was a point in time we said, hey, uh, offices are done. It's the death of and being an office. Then we said, hey, it's all work from home. Now it's actually work from anywhere. So that's kind of the new norm that we have to do and kind of manage the BCB plan surrounding that and what the new norm is going to look like. So we would have to adopt uh, pretty quickly. How about your end users though? Are they, you know, would they rank them high in the technology savviness? Or is this a bunch of lawyers who, you know, are, are you know, nine out of 10 on, on computer awareness? Um, I, I wouldn't say nine out of 10. Um, I, I mean, I would, I would probably say in between because we have some, um, some individuals within the organizations who are very tech savvy. Um, some are not. And I think, you know, it's a uh, um, lot of the, uh, you know, when I came on board with the organization, there's a lot of technical debt with that's there within the organization. And there's a lot of legacy applications that are there. So we need to kind of go and change that. And that's just, a, um, you know, mindset change. But I would say that uh, every individual, I mean, it did need a little bit of a white glove service uh, for some of the folks. But I think we managed to deliver what we needed to do. Um, and we still continue to have some challenges. But we didn't get into the position where I've heard some of the other peers where, hey, you're not allowed to log in from this time to this time. Uh, I.e. finance will only log in from, you know, every Thursday and Friday from, you know, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. We didn't have that. We essentially have the entire uh, organization still working effectively at the same time. So I think that's really a, a good story to be told, right, from that perspective. But how about the legal community as clients? So, you know, they're not in their offices, they're at home. Um, mm -hmm. And that has that affected support calls, has that affected their connectivity to 
software? Is that, are you seeing an uptick just in sort of the client side of the equation versus the sort of the staff side of the equation? I think if I look at the larger, um, you know, broader, I would say the legal community, I think, um, you know, if you look at large organizations like Gowlings and Dentons, um, you know, they, they have the infrastructure. So mm. most of them are uh, global organizations. So they have their own IT um, and managing through, you know, same essential way that we're managing it from that perspective. But I would say, yeah, the individual collaborators, the individual lawyers who are there, you know, um, I think, yeah, they, that is uh, definitely a challenge of how they are going to be operating um, on, on the new way of working, you know, whether it is just from signing to uh, somebody to be present to take that <laughs> signature, you know, all that's going to change. And it is right. changing as we speak of now. How, Howard, like U.S. legal community, same? Is it? No. Know? So <laughs> no. Uh, there's a joke I, I, I would tell, and I would tell it from the perspective of CIO of a legal services company. Um, so Ernest may appreciate it. The three least technical users in the world are in order, attorneys, number three, judges, number two, and the 12 people who can't get out of jury duty is number one. <laughs> and I say that so it's it's tongue in cheek, but at the same time, it comes from having to support attorneys that are anywhere from just out of law school, reasonably tech savvy, expect a mobile experience that they're not finding in law, right. right? All the way through to been practicing law for 55 years, name is on the door, not learning anything new, having to do with technology, right? right. Unless you meant ink. Yeah, that's as, that's as technological as they get. Yeah, I mean, there are some that, that are fantastic. There are law firms that, that really understand the value of technology. Um, and we're in a really good position when, when all of this happened, right? Um, they transitioned to work from home. It was effective. And then there's law firms that, that never enabled that technology to begin with. It was all fresh and new for them. And it's been, it's been a nightmare, right? Too, too many that didn't adopt electronic signature. Mm -hmm. I would say at, from a law firm perspective, that's probably the biggest challenge that you have. If you didn't have a good e-sign system in place that you knew, understood, and was the default, then this, this is a nightmare, right? Having to dispatch couriers carrying documents so that people can sign them is a nightmare, right? Having to implement new technology in what might be a resistant group of people, um, and support that when you can't get them all in a room, you can't get them all effectively on a Zoom call to pay attention to kind of show how it's gonna work, that's, that's a challenge. Um, but ultimately it's no different than most of the rest of, of the world, right? The companies that were more digital survived better in a COVID world than those that were less digital, as a general statement, right? There are some industries where no matter how digital you are, it didn't really help. <laughs> right. Now, now, Ernest, on the business side, a good portion of your business is sort of property centric, given, you know, pretty dramatic uh, uh, amount of people not buying properties or not refinancing or not trading in any way. I, I got to think that has an impact, right? Well, I think the impact is on both ways, right? So the impact is that, um, you know, we do have, uh, uh, you know, like the revenue impact, which is that the ability to defer your payments uh, that you are going to make the ability and you know and and as part of the the real estate market 
you're going to have that revenue impact as well. You know, I mean, how long will it be there and how long will it sustain? I think those are all unknowns. I mean, we, on a, on, on a regular monthly basis, we do look at those statistics and see kind of where we are, you know, what the forecasted was versus what the actual amount of policies that were there. But we look at those particulars. I think, uh, so, you know, we have a dedicated department that actually just looks at that. It's like a separate product line for us. So um, we continue to keep a focus on all aspects because there are external factors that are going to be, you know, changing many, many ways of how we do things uh, on an ongoing basis as well. And also the revenue model potentially. So we, uh, we've had lots of these conversations uh, and I think we've summarized, we'll call it the considerations to the CIO into sort of four quadrants. Let's touch on each of them and sort of get your perspective on, 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 on them all. So the first one is um, collaboration and creativity. So what have we had to do as, you know, CIOs, technology executives to not just enable the digital side of the collaboration, you know, the Zooms and the WebExes and whatevers, but also the physical side, like have we had to help change the desktop environment, give them webcams and microphones and so on and so forth. Um, and then the cultural side of that equation, uh, now that they're not in the office, do they have to wear suits and ties at home or do they have a... <laughs> they have to work nine to five. Um, and then how is creativity different than collaboration? So your, your thoughts on that sort of quadrant? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> you can take them a little bit at a time. <laughs> yeah, good job giving them a softball for the first <laughs> That's not the hard one. I would say, you know, from a collaboration perspective, I think the, the first, um, you know, I would say, uh, the first step that we needed to take as an organization was we were on Lotus Notes and from Lotus Notes moving it to Office 365 and enabling Teams, OneDrive, SharePoint, et cetera, the, the Microsoft suite itself. Um, so we're actually just going to be converting uh, on June 22nd. So uh, we are basically essentially um, live as we speak on Teams as we are doing right now, but that's just as a POC pilot that we are doing. Uh, but we will enable Office 365 and the cutover for teams for the entire organization. And as part of that, I think one of the, you know, the key thing in there was ensure that there's proper communication, there's proper training that's there as well. And I think one good thing that I'm really liking about it is that, um, you know, having support from the senior executive team as well, i.e. the CEO and, uh, and the board as well, um, we, we decided that the day of the cutover, uh, they don't do um, work. Uh, they spend, they'll get a checklist and then they'll, you know, kind of, um, uh, they'll, they'll work on increasing their knowledge on how to work on a daily basis in, in Office 365, send a mail, send a chat, do a video call, calendar, my mail rules, um, coloring based on, if I see an email from, from uh, Paul Lewis, it should go as red uh, rather than <laughs> dark brown or something uh, but uh, you know it's essentially uh, changing that um, and also still retaining some of the current processes that we have uh, but um, when we started uh, initially it was go to meeting um, and we have kind of even go to meeting was uh, starting of using a video and all of that was a learning curve for many folks um, so we we have managed to you know, kind of, it's, it's an up and down roller coaster ride. We've managed that. Um, 
I think initially for some of the folks, I would say is, uh, you know, people contact and, and, and you know, um, of, of meeting people in the office or having a cappuccino or going out for a coffee. I think, yeah, a lot of people miss that. I miss that, mm-hmm. that engagement as well, that face-to-face engagement. Uh, it is good, but the new norm is not a face-to-face engagement. It's a video engagement. And it's going to be, even if you're in the office, it's most likely still a video engagement that you're sitting across the boardroom rather than it to be 10 people in the boardroom from that perspective. So um, I think uh, from a collaboration perspective, that was uh, that has been a change. And I think we're going to continue to build on that. Um, I think we're also going to empower the team and uh, help the team through additional tools that they're going to need as part of collaboration as well. So whether it might be confluence, um, whether it might be additional tools that might be required as part of uh, doing further collaboration, we'll, we'll do that as well. Because one of the things that we looked at was communication as you know, collaboration, I, communication was co- critical and flexibility of that communication was also very crucial as well. On a personal note, I think I would say is there's an aspect about team building and then there's an aspect about uh, still continuing to keep the team positive. Um, as a leader, I think you have to keep positive. And one of the things that I have, uh, when I was just doing a virtual chat with the team, we say, you know, PPE is the word that we have been hearing, you know, as a, as a prote- personal protective equipment. And for me, it's been patient, perseverance, and empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, those are key things that you kind of have to, you, you as being a leader should really revolve around that because it's challenging times. Uh, you don't know what's happening in another individual's family. You don't know when they come onto a call, how are the kids in the background. We still got to manage that as well. So it, it is definitely a challenging. And for some folks, it's a very daunting time. You know, it, it creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty. So as leaders, you have to be empathetic and, and kind of play as you go. There's no defined path in any shape, way or form. Uh, and an additional thing what we've done as part of collaboration is there's, we know that there's a, there's a three-year strategic plan, but I think what we're collaborating a little bit more is what is the next three months look like and then kind of go forward from there on. Um, and how is that going to change? Because that helps us get the quick wins as well. And we know what's the next thing we need to work on. So it's kind of helping us from that perspective. So I have a, a kind of a comment. Um, the, one of the hardest things to do is human beings are really good at passive communication, right? We're, we're really good at that. Oh, hey, since I see you. Oh, hey, since I have you. Oh, hey, mm-hmm. since we're running into each other kind of thing, right? Um, we do it personally. We do it professionally. It's kind of second nature. As leaders, we also use that to, to get a kind of continual temperature of our team. Is this team member happy or sad? Do they right. look like, is their attitude similar to how it was yesterday? That's part of passive communication we're not so good about active communication. But the reality is active communication has suffered less than probably anything else in business because active communication is, I have a scheduled meeting. Do I care that it's in person or over Zoom? Like that's been a relatively painless transition. But, but where I found there to be a massive transition is a lot of people in leadership aren't taking the extra step to really kind of force the passive communication to become active communication, mm. right? So what's, what, what have you done? What have you encouraged your you know, leader organization to do to kind of tr- transform that passive communication back into that active communication? 
A good question. And I think uh, I would say that every leader kind of needs to work on that a little bit more, including myself, um, you know, and as being candid and transparent. Um, I, I would say as part of uh, passive communication, I think one of the things is, um, you know, at, when we were in the right in the center of of COVID at that point in time, when everyone was kind of forced to go work from home, I think daily updates from the CEO as to what are the external uh, impacts that are happening within the or, or to the organization? Um, what are um, just you know general thoughts? How's work being done? Um, I think the teams did well, uh, but I think the CEO communication on a daily basis was profoundly, I think, made a very positive impact on the on, on the on the teams itself. So that was one aspect which was I think I would say even I'm even thankful for him to be sending those emails out. Uh, on a daily basis, because it takes a lot of time and effort to kind of go and summarize thoughts on a daily basis. Um, but the CMT team um, meeting uh, daily actively to ensuring that the teams were feeling okay. And then there's a, there's always a touch point or check-in that, you know, one line or, or two lines down are constantly doing with the team members. So I think we manage because we're not that large of an organization. I mean, I would see that even a major problem when organization at 10,000 or more um, and, and, and those various levels, I can see those as many, many gaps as, as to the, the connection and putting people first at, at any point in time. All right, well, so let's, let's ship it up. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, I was just gonna add one more. Also, we need to be comfortable as leaders to uh, sort of shift the control and accountability, right? So the one thing I hear most often is, uh, especially with Zoom meetings, you're inviting us into your house and therefore you get to set the rules, right? So if your working norm is not now nine to five, it's now seven to 10 and 10 to midnight, okay. If your working norm is that I'm not going to be on camera for these hours of the day because I simply haven't, aren't ready yet, that's okay, right? I'm not gonna wear a tie, I'm gonna wear t-shirts, I'm gonna wear shorts, that's okay. And we have to be fine with that as leaders just to sort of set the cultural stage up. Yeah, I would say it's a great point that, um, you know, kind of um, the rules are yours. Um, I think we've adapted quite well to that. I think one of the things also was, uh, you know, uh, from an HR perspective, it was the flexible, um, even work from home policy, uh, changing shift on your own schedule. Because, you know, with kids being there, you may only be able to work uh, from, you know, a seven o'clock to a three o'clock schedule. Mm -hmm. There were some additional requests that did come forward. We looked at them individually, individual by individual, and addressed those accordingly as well. Um, but predominantly, I think we managed okay. I mean, there weren't excessive amount of those requests, but they were still handful enough that we would have to look at them carefully just to make sure that, you know, there's still collaboration happening and there's still engagement on all sides of the fence from that perspective and work is still being, is still, uh, being getting done. One of the long-term advantages that I see that, that comes up in, in a lot of the conversations that we're having with, having with leadership is the work from home now being common, right? Not that everyone will always work from home, but it's no longer, there's no longer any stigmata associated with it. Work from mm -hmm. home. Okay, fine. Like we, we saw that it works. It's great. Um, also means I, I get more than just work from home, right? I now have the ability to source from anywhere, to hire from anywhere. Now, it's always within the context of what works for my business. Like, um, if, I'm, if I'm based in the US and Canada predominantly, I can't really hire someone from Thailand, 
even an expat, right? Because it's 13 hours off. Right. So I'd, I'd have like an hour a day where we could, we could reasonably communicate without it being a, a, a difficulty. But it does mean I can look to markets that are not as saturated by hiring as they previously were, right? I can look to markets where the cost of living is lower and thus my cost to employ is lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can also look to, to markets to go, if I'm hiring from more rural markets that don't have a strong um, business focus today, one, there might be a talent pool there I can take advantage of, and two, I'm almost guaranteed a more loyal employment audience, right? Someone that, that wants to remain in, a, in that area is also going to want to remain employed by the same employer for a long time, mm. right? Um, how do you see those advantages playing out? Has your company talked about them? Kind of where are you on that scale of exploration? Um, so just to clarify your question, Howard, are we saying with regards to more about people management and actually looking at the opportunity or are we saying just from a business overall People, people. So people management and looking at the opportunity to, to, to hire. I mean, uh, for us, I would say that um, as we are local, um, we have not looked at an opportunity to look at it as from a global perspective, to be very candid. Um, but I would say for organizations that are global, I mean, essentially, you could look at it as a, a I mean, a, just a general overview would be is you as a leader have to look at this particular aspect where we are in as an opportunity, an opportunity to either identify how it's going to improve your business and how it will let you sustain your business and to also address any of the existing risks that may be there. But yeah, I mean, I would say if you're a global organization, this would be the time to look at it holistically across of how you do people management, even across the globe. Um, for us, um, I guess in one way, it's God's blessings that uh, we are all local we can manage, we're all on the same time zone, uh, and we're okay now. Previous two organizations, completely a global environment. So uh, connecting at that point in time was harder uh, because you know office times are different. You are about eight to 10 hours difference. Uh, today, I mean, it would be a little bit better. I, I see it to be a little bit more of an improvement because a lot of the folks are not doing their transit times. The transit times go away, so sure. I can get up and sit in my pajamas at seven o'clock in the morning uh, and, and do a video call as, as what Paul said, you know, and those are the rules of my house. I could sit in my pajamas and do a video call. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you look at prior COVID, you would say, hey, I need to get up. I need to get ready. I need to go into the office. It's a two-way transit time. So I can't really talk to you at seven. I'll talk to you at nine. But that by that time, that individual is ready to go home. So right. I, I but- think now you have a better opportunity. But even to make it real for you, like you're used to hiring in GTA and having people come to the GTA office. But imagine if you can't find a data scientist in Toronto, but there's one at McGill who just graduated in Montreal. Now you should have no issue sourcing that person, having that person work at home because there shouldn't be a huge difference. It's still, still relatively local, yeah. same time zone, same everything, just not a talent pool you normally would have encouraged. So that it potentially is tripling that talent pool for you. I fully agree because I mean, I can give you a perfect example. It just hired two individuals. Their onboarding was remote. Uh, their training was all remote. 
uh, they've been collaborating on remote. So that was the first time that we have ever done that. Um, and just to kind of do that and go through that experience, it was, you know, before it was a checklist, you go through the checklist, oh, I've done this and X and Y and Z, and here's a badge, and you have to go to Cadillac Fairview to go and get your order. <laughs> right. It's a different way. You don't need to go through that. You're actually accelerating the onboarding process as well. Uh, you know, uh, and you are connecting as you need to connect at any point in time. So you are definitely uh, exponentially increasing your talent pool and the availability of that pool because you can go across Canada, you can go across the you know, US at any point in time. And a perfect example of that is there's one aspect about the internal talent pool as well, but even communicating with the vendors of when you want to do solutions. Mm. It's not like let's try to find a time because you're in a different time zone. Um, what you find more is that every vendor who I communicate with, i.e. partner, they're more than ready to jump on the bandwagon to help you. So there's that level of, you know, extra due diligence and extra support being there as well. So time zone is kind of, quote unquote, a little bit out the door. Um, and we're all collaborating as whatever time it is. I mean, I have a meeting at 5.30 p.m. today uh, where I would have said before 5.30, I got to go catch a train. Oh, right. Different thought process. Right? Uh, so, so let's that just was quadrant one. We got four, three more to go. Howard, <laughs> let's pick it up a little bit. So, um, like my favorite topic topic to talk is leadership and people. No doubt about it. But let's move into more kind of the nuts and bolts of of IT. Um, so, we have a like pre-COVID resiliency and capacity focus, right? post-COVID or in a COVID world, right, we've seen a lot of that change. One example is pre-COVID, a lot of us were focused on application response time as a, as a KPI, right? I controlled the network. I controlled the time it takes for packets to move. I have the ability to do that. That becomes a big focus. Now we move to a COVID world, and that focus often shifts to availability and accessibility. How has your kind of resiliency and capacity planning changed? in COVID? Oh, uh, I would say extremely. Um, I think it's uh, changed drastically. Um, I mean, a perfect example is, you know, you have a Citrix server farm and we basically multiplied it by four um, to kind of make sure that we can at least just sustain the organization from that perspective. So, um, and now we're, you know, after what we have just agreed upon as a team together is that um, as our next sprint cycle that we're going to go forward is we're going to look at as to what is the current solution? What are the current gaps? I think what we have done so far is we have just stabilized the environment and not really optimized the environment. I think that would be the next step for us to do, which is, is, is the solution that we have for remote connectivity, is it really the right solution? And can we continue to address those challenges? And do we need a different solution from that perspective? So I think for now, we were in a firefight mode. We needed to do what we needed to do. We needed to scale the network. We did that too. We needed to scale the Citrix farm. We did that too. We needed sales, scale CPU capacity. We did, the, we did that as well. So there was many things that happened uh, while working remotely because obviously the use case was never there that all the entire two floors, the entire organization is going to be working remotely. So we have adapted, but I think now we need to optimize. That would be the second phase that we need to do. Optimized and, and kind of course correct, right? Go back and review the decisions that were made and say, hey, are these right for sustainability of the organization? Mm -hmm. Agreed. Well, I mean, the way that I would be looking at it is, and just to build on that, Howard, is um, course, correct in the, uh, course correct in the sense that 
of what we have done so far, does it meet the needs of today? And does it meet the needs for the future? Because we are still on that transformation journey for the next three years. So how are we gonna be able to sustain that as well? Because we don't wanna go and build a solution now and then take on another solution thereafter two years from now. So hopefully we can land on the right solution to address all of the user needs. One of the things that I see commonly is um, shortcuts that were made in COVID for things like compliance and governance. Right. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm seeing kind of this split, right? Organizations that went, I, I've made a tickler file, like I can't deal with it today. So I've made a tickler file that says in two months, three months, or every month, like I review this, is it can, can have we stabilized enough to fix this issue? And then organizations that don't, that are ignoring that challenge completely. I think one of those is smart. And one of those is a resume generating event. <laughs> to put a very clear point on it so so let's kind of shift because because I, I don't want to spend as much time on this as we did on people because we just don't have the time but um but kind of let's shift into that third question which is cyber security and and i think if we talk cyber right we we should probably bundle compliance and governance in there just as a as a conversation so like how has your strategy with all of that shifted um, how much of that was get it done and kind of a schedule to go back and, and tighten everything back down and ensure that the, uh, you know, ensure that the ship is as secure today as it was yesterday. Within. And have you even seen an uptick, right? Are you seeing more phishing attempts, more viruses, uh, social engineering problems, any of those? So, so I would say, um, I guess one aspect we were lucky. Um, and I guess maybe, you know, sometimes, uh, strategically doing this uh, right in the beginning of, uh, of the year kind of really helped us. So what we did was we did basically uh, information security framework as to what we thought of addressing or doing an assessment of where the gaps are for the organization. Mm. Um, based on that, we built a plan on Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 as to what are the things that we need to do to go and implement and address those gaps as well. So we had worked on addressing some of them um, but, and we're continuing to go and address those, but as part of phishing, I think the biggest amount of increase and even stats that you look at, whether it was from Italy, whether it is from Canada, I mean, stats are, stats are incredible that, uh, the phishing attempts have been, you know, hundred percent, 200% more than what it were pro COVID mm -hmm. uh, or pre COVID, I should say. Um, we have, we are seeing constant, uh, stream of, uh, of uh, phishing attempts, but as part of the, um, uh, you know, part of the security framework, I would say, or cybersecurity uh, assessment, one of the things was, which was to implement no before for our organization as well. So just last week, we actually ran the first targeting phishing campaign for our organization. Mm. Um, so we have actually done that. Now we're gonna get a little bit of click rate. Uh, this was without notifying the users. Um, and just only the senior executive team was aware that we are going to be doing that. Um, we still continued on doing our, our regular uh, penetration testing uh, with third-party providers. So we've still kept all of the security measures and the practices in place. We've not deviated from them. Hey, I will put a little chip and I'll do this later at this point in time. Because one of the mandates that I've given to my team and operations team, and they've been extremely supportive, which is, Security comes first. It's not a solution that we, or it's not something that we build on top later on. It's not the last thing we do. 
and we are now just on the on the verge of implementing identity access management for the entire organization, including single sign-on. So we've done all of the proactive measures to do, but phishing, I would say, is 100%. We've seen a high increase uh, that even after having uh, you know, certain products in there, we're seeing, you know, obviously it's not a hundred percent blockage in any shape or form. You're still going to see them come through the corporate environment or corporate network. So we're seeing those, but I think I would say is that the, the, the law pro corp community is actually quite smart. They go and say, I mean, I was asked when the phishing email sent was sent out, somebody from finance asked me, Hey, do you know this average person who does she work in your Team just want to be safe uh, before I open it and click it again. So, um, but uh, funny enough, we had one today, uh, which was from Tiger Direct, and it you know kind of went to many users. And there was one which was an invoice. Hey, you just uh, need to pay this invoice out. Double click on you know your HTML document today. So today was actually actively too, as what we're speaking. Hmm. How about the uh, the data angle? Now that data is both consumed and created at home at the edge does that does that extend the compliance concerns the data privacy concerns client um, concern like so i i think we we needed to so the one concern that was there obviously uh you know print at home um mm. and, and obviously you know uh how, how do you ma uh, manage confidential files how do you print how do you uh, securely destroy um so we have put um Intern processes in place that you know if there is, and if you do happen to print, uh, you will you know you will probably have to dispose that document or bring it to bring it to the office if there is at a point in time because there's some folks still do come into the office for the manual processes as well which are which are considered essential, um, and then just dispose it at that point in time into the bin. Uh, but other than that, I would say. So far, because we're in a predominant Citrix environment, you're working within that window. So we have not had major concerns with data that's been created on the, um, the end compute from that perspective. Um, wherever we have laptops, we manage them effectively there. We do end user management for those. So not seeing that much of a challenge, um, but I would say data just in the data center itself. Um, I think there should be additional practices that we have to implement to protect that too. Um, as we're looking at uh, a data center hardware solution, which uh, you know keeps the data at rest even if there's a ransomware attack, so looking at those types of things as well on ongoing future implementations as well. Hmm. So we've got five minutes. We'll tackle the fourth side of the square, <laughs> and it's the easiest one. Okay. So, so fourth side of the square is we'll call it the digital pivot, right? So. Uh, what we thought we were going to do project-wise in January is probably not the same list that's happening right now. And we always talk about sort of three categories of companies. So, so first thought is, in which category do you th are you, right? Um, and then how is that affecting your plan? So here are the three categories. There's, there's the thrivers, right? Think of this as snack food company, right? They're now 25% increased. When they, well, from what they were, um, or you know, media streaming, or things like Zoom, or even technology companies. You know, we're we're earning our revenue. We're in fact driving more volume in many ways, right? Then there are the the ones challenged, right? That anybody that required you know a geolocated person, uh, theme parks, movie theaters, auditoriums, travel and tourism, planes, right? 
they're at near zero revenue. Uh, and they have to worry far more about survivability, right? Since they have near zero revenue, um, then they have to start jumping into their cash, right? They're, they're not going to buy OPEX anymore. They're going to buy CAPEX because that's the only thing that's left. Versus the thrivers, they're much more about scale, right? Their concern is how am I going to acquire things faster so that I can get the scale much quicker? And then the big fear, of course, is they're going to hit a step, right? They're going to hit a step to say, are that going to, is that going to expose a whole bunch of security or usability or performance flaws once I hit that step? Then there's the ones in the middle, that third category, which in fairness is the biggest category. It says, I'm mostly fine, right? The revenue is mostly fine, a little bit of a hit, it'll survive, uh, but there's been some aspects of my business that was physical in some way. I needed to, there was a branch, I needed to be one-on-one, or I needed to go to a grocery store, right? Or, uh, or there was some, uh, you know, wet signature that was required in that process. Um, and therefore, I've had to sort of change my set of projects to determine how I need to go forward. But, what do you think about that category wise? So I'm going to say you, you might not like this answer. I might be a little bit of <laughs> hybrid there. <laughs> Hybrid's fine. Um, and I think uh, it's probably the last one I would say um, because, you know, we're not essentially in a way, you know, a Facebook, a YouTube, Netflix, that the revenues are, are different because of uh, the availability of the, you know, what it is today. Um, I would say for ours, it's, uh, you know, revenue is okay. I think there is a hit for that particular revenue. But I think what I have, I'm essentially very proud of as well, which is that the CEO and the board has continued to support the technology transformation journey uh, and not put a halt on that. Because what usually you have, what can happen in an organization revenue goes well you need to reduce your spending you know in parallel as well mm-hmm. and then manage the costs accordingly as well what we have been doing is you know even though we've seen that we're still looking at the transformation because it's it's essential to our business for us to continue and for us to sustain so we have to make those investments unfortunately at this point in time Yes, there are other methods like, you know, i.e. financial engineering, you're going to go from CapEx to OpEx, or you could do a deferred payment, you could do many other things. Uh, but essentially, I'm, I, what I'm feeling at this point in time, and this is a, just a personal reflection, by the way, you have organizations which are wanting to help more at this point in time, provide more resources at this point in time. So it is your opportunity and you, you create that opportunity for the betterment of the organization. Um, and and actually leverage that skill set to kind of go forward. So whether it is identity access management to anything else, which is key on the agenda to do from whether it's application modernization, I would say at this point in time, every organization, if you can, it's an opportunistic time. If you can take advantage of it, then why not? For us, we're continuing on the technology journey. Yes, there are one or two things that we think should be delayed because I think they were nice to haves, we have essentially moved those at a later point in time, but the core essential piece is still continuing to go and, uh, you know, and the mandate is still there to go and, uh, and address those from a, from a technology strategy perspective. One of the things that I, that I wrote about <clears throat> is um, effectively COVID should have taught us that we are, that every company is two things. Every company is a technology company because that's how you're going to deliver from now in and into forever and you're a logistics company, right? Companies that ignored those two things had a really hard time coming into COVID, 
And companies that continue to ignore those two things are going to have a really hard time with their survivability after COVID. Agreed. And, uh, you know, I mean, just uh, as a last point, I would say is that, you know, there are extraordinary times and the ordinary rules that you had don't work anymore. Um, you know, you need a lot of agility. You need a lot of adaptability. Um, and as a leader, uh, you have to focus on, you know, multiple things at the same time. But I would say is you have to focus on yourself. You have to focus on the external impacts of what's happening within the, you know, within the outer world itself. Uh, and I think you, you have to keep a constant focus on what's happening within the peers, the team members, and your customers. Is your customers now wanting a different change? So you may have to, you may not want to change, but maybe, maybe if the customer is saying, hey, I want this as a change, then you may have to adapt, adapt to it at that point in time as well. So that's also an external factor that we have to keep in mind um, as, as senior leaders to make sure that, uh, you know, the ever-changing, uh, you know, customer landscape, I guess, at this point in time. Well, it was great. Awesome conversation. Yes, thank you. It's uh, always it's always great to sit down and listen that conversation, Ernest. And if we think about other CIOs, other peers, that they could be here right now, what will be your last words for them on what they can do through this challenge? What will be uh, some words of encouragement for them? Um, I would say, you know what, um... I mean, it's a great question. I would say as uh, senior leaders within the organization, um, you know, you have to continue to motivate your teams. You have to empower them as well. You have to, you have to continue to establish trust within, you know, the remote organization because they have virtual teams and it's even now more virtual than ever. Um, I would say swift trust is key. Um, I think it's got to be people-centric. And I think more and more, I would say, as, as any CIO uh, within the organization, um, as I said earlier, I think the PPE is a critical part of your success, which is, you know, having the patient uh, so that way you're calm, you don't create different situations, having the perseverance to kind of go through this and there's obstacles along the way and there's going to be many bumps. And realistically, being an empathetic leader, I think those are three key things that I'm abiding by. And certain things have changed, uh, but uh, uh, use that and, and actually, you know, communicate as, as required to the teams because they need that touch points. They need those check-ins. The more personal that we, we can get, the better it is because they feel that sense of belonging. They feel, they feel that sense of that, you know, yes, I am part of this team uh, and I'm going to continue to deliver. Um, it's been awesome to have you here with us today, Ernest. And to each one of you that are listening or watching this episode, make sure that you subscribe and that you share this with your team, your family, and everyone that is around you. Because remember, we want to grow as leaders because you and us can do better. So when we learn together, we grow and we can impact the world. So my friends, we'll see you on our next episode.